nice-looking little little fireside studio you got right there, bud. You know, this is... So, welcome to the show, Dave Rutherford, again. Let's just get in straight into it. Um, he's commenting on my uh, my fireside chat here. Your boudoir. Uh, is that your boudoir? This, uh, this is my office. So, this I have this uh, long, very long uh, office because... It's the former attic of my my building out here in Salt Lake City. Okay. It's, it's actually based on compliance. I can't have anybody working up here permanently. So they can't have people coming in and out working here. But I'm not going to sue myself. So I just converted my entire office sure up here in my attic. <laughs> I, I don't even know if you can. Like that'd be an interesting case where you just bring a case against yourself. Like I've put myself in unsafe working conditions. Um, OSHA. Is, I, I, I've just blown the doors out of OSHA. Yeah. Like it's just, I, I, I don't care anymore. Um, it's crazy. I, I, uh, I care truly. I do. I care. I care about the employees and whether or not they're, they're safe. I think for me, I just, Think about it. Like I have a throw ladder, so I have a sliding window up here. <laughs> I have a throw ladder that I can throw one out. Too. I've got one. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I brought it in, man. When I, I when my old office, I, I brought it in and and showed my dad, and because we were on the second floor, and my dad's you know seventies right. now, and we used to have co-locate in an office, and I I'm like, Dad, here I got us this throw ladder, and he goes, he goes, what the hell do you want me to do with that? And I, and I go, uh, well, if, if something goes wrong in the office, if there's a fire or whatever, you know, it's an old building, you just right. the window and, and, and he goes, I don't think these windows are breakable. They're like, it's an old IBM building. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You just burn that dad. Yeah. You just burn. I, I look at it. I was like, I would have just put a, a, a fast rope up here with like some leather gloves or something, you know, like that's fine. Boys, like man. just hangs out the window. So you, you, you kind of hook in and just slide down. I thought that would be a great solve, but the guy said that I can't put a fast rope in with leather gloves. No, they said no. That, that doesn't work either. Question for you, feet on the rope or feet off the rope? Feet off. <laughs> feet off. It's only, it's only, it's only 10 feet or 15 or whatever it is. 15 feet, like feet off, man. I'm getting out. I'm <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah. And like, not even a squeeze, just, yeah. a, free, just like a flea fall. Yeah. Just, just like free float that thing. I don't have gear. I mean, everything else burns up here except for maybe like a, I've got a, for whom the bell tolls uh, first edition. I think that's probably the only thing I might grab. Everything else, oh. can, everything else can fucking burn. You don't want any of those antlers, you know, because that could no. be a bad on the PLF. You could like, yeah, well, I could just toss all that shit out. <laughs> That's good. That's a good idea. You know, what, who knows? What's up, brother? How are you? Man, I am. I am. Um, I'm great. I, I am. I'm great. I'm busy for like for fucking for fuck's sake. Like my <laughs> my schedule is just like man. It's. Uh, I feel like I'm getting beat beat up in the surf right now. That's the way life. Really, feels. I like that's oh, how wow. life feels. Like that's how my schedule feels. Just like, boosh, boosh, boosh. I'm on a plane every two or three days. I've got 
you know, opened up a coffee shop in Clarksville, Tennessee. I've got another I one. I saw that, man. Congratulations. Taxes. Congrats, man. Congrats. When we are we going to our... get one? When are we going to get one down here in uh, Southeast Florida, bud? Uh, ASAP. I, I'm working on that right now. Um, I've been trying to, to work with one of my good friends down there. He, he actually helped me with the Bass Pro deal that we did last yeah. two years ago. And I kind of promised him that he would get, he would get dibs on the first, first shop there in Florida. Well, I don't uh, care who has first dibs, man. We just, just need to it. start populating. We got a, a, a truckload of gun owners. And I mean, this state is, uh, this state is ready for some black rifle storage, brother. I just this, know it in my heart. <clears throat> that state is so awesome, man. I was down there for Jared and I went down there for a boat race. So I did a P1 offshore race. Very cool. Yeah. The place is amazing. It really is. It probably gets hot as fuck in the summertime. I would yeah. imagine. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little steamy. It's a little filthy. <laughs> like, you know, it's a little, it's it's a little wet, a little moist. <laughs> Yeah, it's moist. You know, but but you get used to the moisture, you know. That's why they make uh, fanny packs and uh, right. flip flops. So yeah, you know, it's there for you, bud. But we 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 need you. We need you. We you are integral in in the fight, and and we just gotta see them everywhere. I want. It was so funny though. I I, I watched the documentary on Netflix about the last blockbuster. I don't know if you've watched that yet. I haven't seen that. Oh God, it's fascinating. It's fascinating, and. And, you know, they went from 9,000 stores in 2004, right? The biggest ever. Yeah. And now, and now they're, they're down to one store in Bend, Oregon. Whoa. And, yeah. And it's just fascinating to hear. And a lot of people think it, that, you know, they got hammered because of Netflix and, yeah. and, but that's not the case. What happened when Viacom came in and bought them from uh, Wayne Heisinger, um, they, they ended up saddling all the company's debt on Blockbuster. Oh, and and wow. so Blockbuster was, because they were they had such great cash revenue yeah. that, that they transferred all this debt over onto them. And that's what destroyed the company. It wasn't Netflix. It wasn't, I mean, the story, I guess, was they had an opportunity to buy Netflix. But, yeah, I heard that. But but they didn't. Um, that's not true. What? Is that not is that not true? Yeah, they they had an opportunity, oh, okay. but they just they they were like because they at at the point when Netflix was in mm -hmm. their business model, they they were they were grabbing a truckload of market share and and they were pr primed for streaming yeah. and all the other things. It's just right. it was the debt that destroyed them. Okay, I got to watch that. That's yeah. a, that's a that's a great recommendation. Yes, for you it is a great recommendation to watch. I just want to know: Did the founder did he did he make a lot of money when he sold to Viacom? Oh, it was eight point seven billion. Oh, good. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like to hear the stories where the founders sell and then somebody else fucks it completely up. Oh, that's oh, the brother. that's the that's the stories. Those are the stories. Actually, the stories I like to hear are just like they don't fuck it up and they just keep going and do it. Yeah, again. yeah. Well, that's always possible. That's that's entirely up to up to you all at that C-suite level and and the decisions oh. you're making and you always seem to be making good decisions. So That's not true. Yeah, that's that's not true. I, I think you you've got a lot of um you got a lot of MBAs out there that uh, they know how to put together a really good PowerPoint and they know how to, to put together meeting after meeting after meeting. You got a, a lot of really capable MBAs that know how to organize information to make it look good. Mm -hmm. um, 
Now, there's 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 a lot of obviously super competent executives because you know they're they're driven, they're fucking amazing. Like you know, TD is a great example. Tom Davin, the guy that mm-hmm. that uh, that we we have in my co CEO role, he's great. He's awesome. Uh, and so is the the president of the company. This guy Scott Harvey, he's great too. These guys are fairly. Uh, they come with really wide shoulders, right? Right. But man, when I interface with a lot of other executives, it's from other companies. I realize like just how lucky we are because there's a lot of people who just they're lost. They're they're <laughs> fucking lost. They don't know what their mission is. They don't know how to you know, task, organize and fucking execute. And it's, it starts getting nuts to me because I'm like, you guys, this is all a team sport. You're just organizing projects and getting shit across the line based on your mission statement. There's really not a lot of fucking rocket surgery going on here. Well, there is in the rocket surgery, surgery or the rocket surgery, <laughs> the rocket surgery is, is within the human psychology, right? I mean, right. I remember years ago, right after, uh, Wells Fargo had the big ordeal with the the checking thing and they were, you know, doing some shady stuff. And I went up to a, a private wealth group up in, in uh, the McLean area in Virginia right. and sat down and I was around 12 executives, all people, part of these big teams in there. And I'm looking at, I'm like, all right, so let's go around. Let's, uh, what is the mission statement and culture of, of your organization right now? And, you know, by the, by the eighth person around, you know, they were like, well, I'm, I'm just not sure right now. We're waiting for corporate and this, and the, the guy, oh, wow. like this one dude finally had the shits, but to stand up and say, we don't know. And we can't know because we have to wait until we're told what it is. Oh, and, man. and it's creating a, a massive messaging problem for our clients that are like, all right, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not going to put my $25 million with you because you guys have no idea what direction you're going. You don't know what's up and plus you're shady. So I'm going to go over here to UBS or Merrill Lynch right. or whatever. And, and you find it, man, the bigger, the bigger the organization, the, 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 you know, the, the way the messaging kind of trickles down, it just doesn't make it. And mm-hmm. then somehow in between, I think, you know, that mid-level management, and this is where I really see the greatest challenges out there is that mid-level management is not because everybody's having to do more things, right? right. Running leaner, doing more yeah. things, asking them to be more autonomous, to get out there and go try new, especially in, in this and in the, in the markets we're in right now. And they're doing it, but they're not sure how to do it or why to mm-hmm. do it or which direction to go. And then when they do it and they fail, they don't come back and say, all right, everybody, please sit up. Let's have a debrief. This is what went wrong. This is what right. went right. Let's, hey, you guys, I heard you might be doing it. Don't go do this, do this. And I and I think to your point exactly, this is a team sport. And if executives, there's a built-in, I think there's a built-in ideology that, you know, it, it's also you kill what you eat. Yeah. And, and so that- You got to reinforce hunting. Yeah. And that and that that competitive nature can bleed over into kind of stifling someone else having a good idea or you know those little jockeying for position oh, yeah. or who's going to be the get the next opportunity to run a particular group or division or whatever and mm-hmm. and I think you know that's what you guys have an advantage with is that you guys come from a a, a true meritocracy in terms of everybody's military background that hey no listen we're yeah, there'll be promotions and there'll be advancements, but at the end of the day, 
you know, it, it, at least from the outside in and knowing you for as long as I've known you, man, that's the driver, right? That's the driver. You push, you know, every level, especially that mid to upper level management in a way that it, it, it is team orientation, it is team culture. And, and that makes the difference. Well, there, and there's a couple of thoughts there, which is there's the, the counter narrative that, that team sports are not important, right? Team sports are not important in, you know, as a, as a culture, as a society, as a nation. My counter to that is, you know, it's, they're absolutely important because they teach people how to solve complex problems where there are things at stake. Right, where mm-hmm. you want to teach winners, you want to teach people to be out there and being in, we would say, a good uh, steward of competition as well. Right, you want to teach people that are ethical in order to how do you how do you win appropriately? How do you lose appropriately? How what is, what does it mean to win ethically? And when you look at the the internal psychology of team sports, meaning there's a coach. There's a team captain. There are different roles that people have to play, and each one of those roles will, will obviously directly benefit uh, the win or loss. And then they have to work together, right? They have to work together to accomplish a goal. Like that's life, man. Yeah. Like when you look at it, it's just it's just hyper focused into an activity for a short amount of time. And yeah, you might have a, a you know a running back in this position, but really, it's teaching people how to to function within a role and be a team player. Those things are they all mean very significant things in life, right? So if every person is an individual and being a team doesn't matter, and everybody's the same, right? It's like everybody's the same, meaning we have no you know, gender classification or (laughs) like, you know, everybody's the same. No, there are unique differences between each and every one of us and they directly contribute to the success of society. Amen. Like if we can just kind of figure that out and that's where it's like, man, it's so confusing to me to hear things like, well, team sports are not important. Like everybody gets a participation trophy. Well, that's not that's counterintuitive to the entire human experience, by the way. Everybody doesn't get a fucking trophy. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it has never been that way. You know? No. If you don't win, you die for much poor a grand portion of our existence, right? Right. But, but you know, when when and as you pull up the team orientation and and how everybody plays an individual role in a collective mission, mm-hmm. you know, it's I think, you know, for listeners everybody's heard so many of our veteran-based stories, you know, that when I worked with the the Boston Red Sox and by the third year, my role had advanced and now it was, all right, the focus was was being able to really create a leadership development program for Mm -hmm. Mookie Betts because here was this young kid who was, you know, the the franchise, he was everything. But I remember the first time, you know, and it was all a derivative of, of Dustin Pedroia leaving and, and making way for Mookie to come into that leadership role. But here he's this kid. And I remember the first time sitting down with him and, and directly asking him, hey, Mookie, have you ever had any leadership training? And he was like, nope. <laughs> you know, and this is a guy that yeah. is now the head of a, uh, a 15 to what, $17 billion organization with 25 million fans around the world. And they're asking this kid, we need you to carry the team and do all right. this. And, and it's like, 
uh, I've never, you know, I don't even know what that looks like. I, I, my, right. you know, I go, well, how do you describe leadership? And for all, most, most people that are driven in some capacity, I think it's relative to if, if, if my actions are, are at a high level, people will naturally want to follow me, follow me. Right. And that, that's great. And that works to a certain extent, but there is a whole nother, there is a whole nother uh, component of reciprocation, right? Mm-hmm. When somebody looks to you for influence, you feed them back with that influence they're looking for. Right. And so, and so often people don't know how to ask, Hey, Evan, how do I do this right now? What, what do you recommend? Or, or whoever is asking up the chain of command, are you going to your co-CEO and saying, you know, uh, you know, tell me about your experience with Taco Bell. What, wh- how does franchising work? Is that possible? And, then, mm-hmm. and is that part of our model? I don't understand it. And then, and then seeking the information from the external players, right? right. The people that do have specialties, you don't. And I think, I, you know, we were able to really take these other guys, the David Price, the Mitch Morelands, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, Brock Holtz, these guys who had been around the league for a long time. And, and my thing was, hey, you guys have to subtly influence him from, from the side, not from a direct assault because mm-hmm. he's so fixated on performing on a field, but from the side and prop him up and say, yeah, right. you're doing right. You're doing well. This is good. And if there is an issue, just say, hey, think about maybe changing it or tweaking it this much instead of, and halt, stop, you know, all right, we're going into class here. You know, you're on your whiteboard and this is right. what a leader means and stuff. And it's more fluid than that. And I think organizations right now, at least from what I'm hearing, and, and again, you know, it's still slow out there for me, but, you know, is, is, is really about saying, all right, this is my area of expertise, but I also need to be contributed with my area of expertise on your area, but we have to do it together. And, mm-hmm. if, and if someone that hasn't had that, that great exposure to that type of team orientation, and they become fractionalized, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody splits off and they're jockeying for their time to, to you know, it's, it's like the guys, remember, you know, you always knew those dudes who were, who were getting their fit rep just right. And they were, you know, they were studying for the test and they were, they were jockeying for the rank right? instead of the experience that would give them the rank. And, and in many cases, they were able to do that. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting because when we start to unpack this and we think about just leadership in general, right? Well, one, I think that leadership is not, it's not taught in corporate America enough, right? There's, it's not taught. It needs to be taught in it. I've been teaching my girls or at least what, what I think is reinforcing leadership traits from the time that they could walk. Uh, how do you influence your sister? You know, I have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. It's like your actions influence your sister. You have to take responsibility for your actions. You're a leader, regardless of whether or not you think you are or not. What does it mean to lead? Right? Sometimes it's just example, as you identified earlier. So how do you lead by example? Well, it's not just, you know, it's not just good behavior. It's also positive psychology, right? It's not, it's not just directly saying, well, I made my bed or, you know, for a child, picked up my toys. It's also the example of good behavior, which is positive psychology. How do you help? How do you encourage? How do you support? Uh, and we don't teach that in our schools, which is fucking amazing to me that we don't <laughs> teach it because you, you have to teach it at home, obviously. We know that. 
Yeah. And I think the majority of the responsibility for any American uh, parent is to teach leadership. Unfortunately, there's not enough people to understand what real leadership is. So they're also in a void of information and they're turning to, uh, we'll, we'll say the wrong examples mm-hmm. to, 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 to kind of find reference material. And it's one of the things why I, I love like what you do and what Jocko and these guys mm-hmm. do is because you guys teach leadership and you have really profound examples. But to go back to my point, if we, if we at least had a, a curriculum of development and that started early, it's like, this is what it's like to be a leader and everybody has to lead and you get a turn, right? So can you imagine if you were teaching our kids in elementary school, like it's, it's your turn to lead. It's your turn to be responsible for the day. Yeah. You're going to be responsible for this. You're going to make sure that everybody gets this done. And I remember very, very acutely that the first time I think I really felt that type of responsibility was in the military. Really? You never had any time before that where you were on a team or you were out in the woods and someone was woefully underprepared or a friend was in a tough time and you guided them through that. There was never a time before that that you felt um, um, like, wow, that gut feeling, I need mm-hmm. to step in to assist or to show or to direct. You never felt no, that. No, I, I, well, I think, you know, I, it was all about me, right? So as a teenager and, you know, as an adolescent and a teenager, I think that you're so self-consumed. <laughs> it, takes, uh, it takes a lot of parenting and coaching to pull a person, at least a teenager, or just kind of the anomaly like the, the 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 statistical anomaly of the small fractions of kids, which I knew them that were automatically understood leadership or uh, could could inherently pick it up based on their environment. I just wasn't that smart, so it was all about me. Uh, and then then once you know traveling to Fort Benning and being really real and, and to rewind, I guess yeah, of course I was on teams, right? So yeah, a baseball team and a soccer team and. You know, I, I wrestled when I was really young and I played, you know, I played a lot of sports. So I, I understood what it was like to be on a team, but I didn't understand what it was like to lead a team because mm-hmm. that was always the coach, right? The coach was the leader or the guy that had the most talent, you know, and I never had the most talent. So that was never really an option. Um, but it's interesting how people confuse individual performance-based talent in leadership Bam. too. Yeah, because that's where people get really fucked up because they're like, "Well, this guy's an incredible baseball player, or he's an incredible football player." Yeah, but that doesn't mean you should follow him, <laughs> or <laughs> that doesn't mean he's a good person. That doesn't mean that the example that he's setting or her is the example that you you want to follow, right? It just and means many, they're good at their sport. Time. And many times the best on the team is really the person that has put the most, te- most, the most effort in off an off season or whenever, when no one's looking right. and then they step on 
and they see that they're better. So they become a more selfish player and then they score the most goals. They would, you know, what they have, they, whatever it might be. And then they're the de facto leader. Right. And, 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 and and every athlete and every sports team I've ever worked with, you know, that's what I see is the, is the best player, you know, kind of somehow rises to the occasion where they're become captain of the team or whatever. Right. They're not the captain of the team. They're just the best player and they don't want to be captain of the team, but yet, you know, someone's like, all right, you're the best, you're captain. And we see this, how often, I mean, you, you probably see it in your, your organization, right? You have the best salespeople out there. They're killing it. They're dominating. They're crushing their, they're having massive sales. And someone's like, well, let's make them manager of all the salespeople, you know? And you're like, doesn't always work. That's not a good idea. and, doesn't and, always work. And, and trying to identify, hey, the best sales guy doesn't mean they're going to be the best leader. Right. And there is a distinct difference. Yeah. So. Well, there's a huge yeah. difference. Right? Do you remember? It, I'm sorry, Evan. I no, just have to I want to ask you this question real quick because I'm so fascinated. I've always been fascinated with, with your perspective of leadership, especially now because you, you're moving into that place where you're part of a, a giant company and you're in that role. Do you remember the the first person that you met or integrated with and said, now that's a leader. That's mm. a person whose style I like. I like how they oh, yeah. engage with me. I like how they engage with my teammates. Do you remember the, any of those people? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think early on, it didn't quite understand you know, what I was looking at when I was in junior high and high school. There's a, there's a guy that was in my hometown. He's a former Green Beret. And he was one of those guys where I was like, that's the kind of guy, you know, he's a little bit crazy, <laughs> you know, a uh, little bit crass, a little bit crazy. Uh, but it was like, that, that's somebody, you know, I really want to be like, right? Um, but management style, I think the military really gave you a lot or gave me a lot of examples to that's the type of leader that I want to be. That's the type of manager I want to be. Um, and most of those guys were the guys that were really kind of funny, but they were also pretty serious. Right. So they could, mm-hmm. they had this like very distinct switch that they could provide levity and at the same time organize and execute nobody's fucking business. Yeah. One of those guys is still one of my best friends today. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow, he, that's he's, cool. the, he's a command star major still. Uh, one of these days he'll get out. Uh, but just seeing him, cause he was, he was an E6. I was an E5 when we first mm-hmm. met and just seeing his style and the way that he could go from being one of the guys to being in charge so fluidly. Mm-hmm. It was incredible. And, and it was uh, it was an interesting lesson because before that point, I didn't think that you could be one of the guys, nor could you be in charge, right? But it's all based on your individual perspective, your individual psychology, your communication style. Like, mm-hmm. do people respect you? Are they willing to follow? Like, there's a difference between understanding how to integrate yourself into the uh, peer perspective, right? And understanding how to manage and lead and be and perform that function, you can go in and out. There's a very distinct personality type and it's very rare. Uh, it's very rare. But most of the time, those guys, I think, are, are some of the best leaders that I've ever met 
specifically in the military, because they can come down, they can go up. And there are so few people that understand how to do that. They're, <sighs> they're, 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 they're a, a, a national treasure and a precious commodity. When you can, when you can go down and identify with subordinates and peers in a true and authentic way, connect with people and be empathetic and understand what they're going through and then understand how to solve their problems and then move back up in order to manage and lead uh, while maintaining perspective without getting too narcissistic or, you know, the wide variety of, of kind of ego driven circumstances Mm -hmm. in these roles. Uh, those are the people that I like. We, we should be writing fucking books about and teaching curriculum about. Right? <laughs> There's no doubt. There's no doubt. And 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 I, you know, the the challenge, right? And I think is is it goes back to that that ability to see those influences and go, mm-hmm. that's the right leadership. That's right. the not the right. And then you know, but it's so easy nowadays to say, well, that's how you make it to the top. You know, you've got to back. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to be subversive. You've got to, you've got to be out for yourself, right? Go mm-hmm. out, be out. You got to look out for yourself. I mean, if I, if I hear that anymore, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to vomit and, you know, yeah. continuously all day when, especially when you see it in, a, in such a blatant way. And, and it is about, I think that, that transcendence of, of power, right? It's about, right. it's about the application in the right appropriate time, pulling off, applying, um, you know, when you were talking about, it, I just went back to the, you know, thinking about Alexander the Great, you know, and he would he would ride through the camp or walk through the camp and sit down at the fires with his men after battle and drink with them and you know right. whatever. And you know, there's you know, you get to that point. Well, why would people you know go on a campaign all the way to Afghanistan or India with some human being with armies of you know, 100, 200, 300,000 strong, you know, and the conditions are got to be miserable, Yeah. but you do it because you, you, anything this dude tells you to do is like, you want to do it with him because right. you believe in him and you, you're going to follow him to the ends of the earth. And in many yeah. cases, you know, tens of thousands did. And, and, and so, you know, the question always becomes, is, is that teachable? Hmm. You know, can you teach that perspective? You know, and, and, cause I know, and I think we've, we've talked about it before is, is, you know, how do you identify the individuals that, that either have the, the capacity or propensity for it, mm-hmm. um, but just have never been exposed to it in, in such a, a definitive manner. Hey, listen, right. w- w- I'm seeing you, you you react to something on an emotional way. You're, 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 I'm seeing you say, all right, this is a time, but I'm also seeing the fear that's inside you to take a step forward and make the influence, have a teaching moment, create it. Don't, don't be afraid. Right. Step over the threshold and become the leader that you're feeling is in you. And, and trying to get people to do that is, is, is challenging. And, you know, as you guys have gotten bigger, how do you guys do that? How do you guys see that and, and, and promote that and, and foster that type of, of um, um, direct influence? Well, I think it's a combination of things uh, because as the company gets bigger, you have, you have internal communications. Mm-hmm. And as, as this, at this point, we have 550 people, give or take, in the company. Um, so you have your internal influence and you have external influence. And you have to look at your communication channels, right? So w- what, what are the 
individual communication channels we have to communicate externally and internally. Mm-hmm. Um, so externally, it's obviously the media, right? So a lot of this is external media. And one of the things that I've, I've really focused on is we don't partake in, in negative information, right? We, we, we entertain, we inform, and we inspire. Those are three things. And we stick to a mission statement, which is be a great fucking company. That's all my mission statement is. So <laughs> I love that so much. So what does it mean to be a great fucking company? Well, you got to make best in class media. You can't partake in the the mudslinging on the internet, right? You you have to rise above it. Uh, you know what does it mean to be a great fucking company? It means you have to roast the greatest fucking coffee that you that that is possible, right? You have to print and you know develop the best apparel, but more importantly, what it means is you have to recruit, hire, and then provide the ability for people to have economic mobility, opportunity, and fulfillment within the company because that's the heart, right? That's what actually matters. If the internal at the the internal aspects of the company, if that's rotten, it doesn't fucking matter what you do on the external communication, right? It doesn't matter. Then it just becomes uh, in, information operations, which is trying to mitigate the fact that you're you're a burning trash heap of uh, <laughs> ethics. And I think there is a lot of companies that run like that. To be fair, I, I really do. I think there are a lot of people that um, they they exploit the ability to put out misinformation, right? And, you know, one of the things that I've, I've, I've really focused on the last couple of months is how do we maintain authenticity as we continue to grow? How do you scale uh, a company and maintain the soul of the company? Because what happens with a lot of companies is you're, you start running based, solely based on profit. Right? So how do we grow and continue to scale and maintain a profit? And what, that becomes a very sociopathic endeavor when you're only trying to look at how you can cut costs and increase profit. It's, it is capitalism. Don't get me wrong. But you know, I believe in a, a blended uh, aspect of capitalism where it's more uh, ethically driven mm-hmm. capitalism. So there's capitalism in the context of its Machiavellian, it's sociopathic, it's anything for a profit. So it's very exploitive, right? And then you have, how do we provide the greatest amount of opportunity, the greatest amount of good internally and externally? Uh, And that's a balancing act. And you have to continue to come back to that all the time, by the way. It's a, it is a a constant, uh, both internal and external campaign for yourself to be like, how do I lead? You know, uh, how do I lead as a company gets bigger? I can't be everywhere at all times. I have two, you know, beautiful children and a wonderful wife too that also needs me. So how do you manage your work life balance and how do you continue to be out and talk to people? Because one of my favorite things in the world is stepping into the company and high-fiving people and talking to them about their day and what they're doing and what their what their ambitions are, not just print that fucking shirt or roast the <laughs> coffee, right? Like that that sucks, man. Like I not to oversimplify it, but I think there's a lot of uh, companies or corporations that they have to train their executives to 
to go out and schedule time with people because they're like, you got to go out and schedule time with people to figure out, you know, you've got to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Or you could just be that person that wants to go out and spend time with people and listen to them because that's your natural instinct. So to your point, uh, by, 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 by no means am I saying that I'm, I'm, I'm the best leader. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm saying there are a lot of incredible leaders out there that I've been able to kind of go, Oh yeah, I get that. Right. And I'm Mm -hmm. constantly pursuing, uh, excellence in that regard. Um, and you have to continue to do it. So it's, it's never, it never ends. Well, your perspective at, at, at 50 people is not the same as your perspective at 500 people. Right. Your perspective at one store is not the same perspective at a hundred stores. Mm-hmm. And, and so just like your skill sets, you know, operationally, you know, as soon as you become complacent, the, the battlefield takes over. Right. And, and it is a constantly evolving battlefield. And I, and I, and I think now, especially with, a lot of of what corporate America is 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 beginning to reflect upon goes against uh, you know what what consumers want to contend with, right? And and being able to stay true to that internal drive as a leader, as well as hey, our influence as a company and what our our, our mission is to buy the best coffee there is on the market, uh, to provide an incredible work environment, and to be the best fucking company there is, and 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 to to maintain the simple, the the simplified perspective of that, I think is is what is enabling you all, you know, to continue doing what you're doing, and 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 it also is is you know, I mean, what what an, an opportune time, right? You know, right. I think the people in in America are, are looking for a counterbalance to kind of the the presumption of of monopolies, and 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 you coming in and and you know, being able to be a, a, a legitimate contender to, to Starbucks and to Dunkin' and to all these other organizations that people are, are you know, we're so nuanced in our consumerism, right? And it's because weird. there are so many choices. Yeah. So to find, to find a choice that's representation of, of our, our core uh, understanding of ourself and, and, and what we like, and then you have great taste in coffee, Man, it, you're ripe for that growth, and and to be able to identify that that market is also another component of leadership too, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I think as we look around and we look at some of the the places where we 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 purchase, we purchase from. Does anybody really like or understand what what Amazon is, for instance? Right, what what it really is. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think anybody really understands, you know, Jeff Bezos, his political affiliation or his wife's political affiliation or what they think about the world or how they feel about Americans or people. Like, do we really understand? No, because Jeff Bezos isn't out there talking about his ideas all the time. Uh, and I'm not identifying him as a, as a bad human, by the way. I'm just saying we, we don't know. So people purchase based on convenience. There's a the convenience factor um, and I think that that directly contributes to the position that we're in as a nation too, because 
when you purchase based on convenience and we'll call it price, uh, you directly to contribute. You can directly contribute to things that are contrary to what you believe in or beliefs. Yeah, and uh, I I think that's what you're seeing because uh, I was I was reading something just the other day about how. Um, Big corporations ultimately they contribute to to the executives. They contribute typically to both sides, mm-hmm. um, both Democrat and Republican, and because they're they're just trying to hedge their bets at the end of the day. Uh, and I, I say, yeah, I, I, I've absolutely done that too because there are people that I believe in, right? Like mm-hmm. Tulsi Gabbard's a friend of mine. Dan Crenshaw's a friend of mine. I consider them friends. I want to support them. Uh, I don't care if there's a D or an R. I just think like they're good people, and I understand who they are. Uh, but I, I, I think there's a, there's a big percentage of executives that really believe in things that are directly contrary to what most of their consumers believe in. Uh, I think the majority of people using Google in the United States right now would probably not identify with the you know, socioeconomic beliefs of the corporate executives suite of Google. I really believe that. I think they would be appalled as to what they believe in. They'd be like, you guys are Marxists. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) truly, right? I I mean, they're not, they're, 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 or, or, I mean, they're, they're, or they're Stalin socialists. Like they're not, or they're, 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 they're really inherently broken because they live inside a, 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 a very exclusive bubble of 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 people that are in an echo chamber in the the nicest weather weather pattern in the world by the way and one of the most you know uh, economically stable countries in the most economically stable states in the most isolated <laughs> in the most isolated uh, you know zip code in the United States so of course you're going to have this perspective on life that is very different than the flyover states or, you know, different states where there might be guys jumping in Bass Pro, uh, you know, fish tanks, right? It, it's very interesting to me that, that more people don't expect more. You know, like we want to hear, we want to understand, we want to understand what's going on within the company. And there should be a lot of companies that are like, hey, listen, we don't play in politics. We're just trying to sell you shit. That's it. So buy it or don't buy it, but we we don't play in it. That's great too, because there's a lot of people that are just not politically inclined and they don't want to discuss it because they're like, I just don't, I don't get involved in it. Well, they definitely don't want it in every aspect of their lives, right? And Mm -hmm. and that's why you're seeing these areas where where typically people go to relieve themselves of, of that. Uh, especially after the last year right. of of that impending doom, if you will, right. and and when now all of a sudden, you know, I I have to contemplate uh, all of this as I I'm looking forward to the All Star Game, or uh, you know, I'm going to buy a Coca Cola, or I'm hopping on a Delta airline. Right. It's like, hey man, you know, I don't listen, and and you know. Man, please, uh, just let me let me watch, and and you can see the result. I mean, Coca Cola yeah. came out and supported, it, and then a week later they said, "Ah, oh, well, maybe we we need to reevaluate." And then, <laughs> you know, and, and it's uh, weird how that works. Yeah, it? and then and then you know, right? I mean, Walmart came out and said, "Nope, 
we are non-political. We're not, we, we support everybody and yeah. you know, justice. That's what we want. But, and you're starting to see there'll be this, this balancing, I think, you know, but again, as you and I know, uh, when leadership is, 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 um, lacks the understanding of, of, of everybody's opinions or viewpoints, uh, you start to have those issues, right? You start to have those serious issues. Just a second. Sure. Got to let your dog out. Uh, Do you have to let I, your dog out? Yeah. My dog's like, he just turned 13. He's like, <laughs> nine, he's like 900 years old and he's like snots coming out of his face. His, I think he had a stroke. So one eye is like up here and poor guy just doesn't know if he wants to be in or out. He feels so bad. Can't, yeah. You can't blame him. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. Well, go, you know, going back to what we were talking about, which is, I think there's, there's, I, I've, I've kind of shifted the corner into just the way that we we do business in the sense of uh, I used to classify us as the a conservative company. It was like, hey, we're a conservative company. Now I say I'm in, I'm truly a man without a party because I don't the GOP doesn't represent all my beliefs. Yeah. Right. And the DNC doesn't either. Like I, I actually find them both fairly repugnant to be quite fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I I really have to kind of what what I tell people is like I'm just trying to make sure that people know who we are and what we do, regardless of political affiliation. This is just who we are, right? I have terabytes of me running my fucking suck on this podcast, and <laughs> at the end of the day, if people like it, they like it. If they don't, there's a lot of other coffee options out there. You know, I, I'm, 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 I'm going to be fine. Like I, I'm going to be all right. You know, like I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Like people get all spicy and like at the end of the day, I just, I'm not going to sacrifice the, my individual authenticity of like who I am so I can placate to a larger audience so I can sell more coffee. Right. My dad was a welder and a logger. I grew up in Northern Idaho with basically nothing. And I spent the majority of my life literally sleeping in shipping containers. Uh, I don't give a fuck. Like truly don't like, like me, don't like me, like the company, don't like it. I don't care. We're a great fucking company. So if you want to buy your shit from a great company, good. But that's, I think for me, that's what I want other people to, to hold their, their consumer their consumer ethics, hold them accountable as far as like, who are they buying from? Uh, I uh, I was just reading uh, this morning on the way into work, which I shouldn't be, but I was, uh, <laughs> I was like throwing through it at the stoplight. Uh, Amazon's uh, union. And, I, and I, I don't understand a lot of what's going Very on Very interesting. Yeah. But I, I think it's super interesting because you have kind of the, the corporate narrative is... Uh, very progressive, and it, and it you know supports more you know this uh, the teachers Marxist unions. general yeah <laughs> yeah right it's like more of like kind of a, a, a Marxist um, kind of fringe ideology, but they sure as shit don't want unions in their company, so they're like they're ultra capitalist. <clears throat> Sorry about that, brother. It's all right. But I, I think it's super interesting how the corporation itself is 
contributing and then putting out a lot of what we'll call it more uh, socialist driven information. You know, that's what they support. That's what they believe in. Everybody's, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, but they sure shit don't want unions in their company. So it's like, no, no. Yeah. Okay. So I see where you guys are headed. (laughs) I see what you're doing. Right. So like, can everybody just, can we all just level set and be like, Oh, so they actually don't fucking believe anything they say. What they're trying to do is they're trying to win the information war. They're trying to be on the side of, you know, the AOCs and the, the you know, the, we'll, we'll call it one perspective of the, of the, of the country, because that's when they understand, they understand how they can kind of yield the, the most power across the United States. But internally, they're, they're the most capitalistic company in America. They're the largest. I think they are the largest company in America at this point. So their executives are like, everybody, let's just be socialists unless it's inside our company. And then you better not and, be. And you, or you we're going to be there. like, yeah. hire the Pinkerton <laughs> gang to come in and beat you up, right? Like, <laughs> Those damn Pinkerton. <laughs> it's fucking nuts, man. And it's, 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 it's yeah, hypocrisy at its, its finest. So, yeah. It's so hypocritical. You're right. I, you know, and that goes back to this, this, you know, the, the mixed message of leadership, right? Right. And, 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 and cause leadership is more than just, is more than just influencing other people. Leadership is about standing for something leader. Right. And how do you, and, and when people know where you stand, then, then it makes it easier for them to say, all right, I want to be, I want to follow that individual. Yeah. If they don't know where you stand and you change all the time, it it puts people in this, you know, in in a state of flux and and uneasy right. and 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 then it's like you're you're desperate for some guidance. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think, you know, when you start to see leaders choosing that level of influence through fear and through, you know, and through this uh, righteousness, right? This social right. righteousness that's being uh, permeated uh, uh, just about every place you look now, you can't escape it. You right. Know, it's, it's putting people, they don't know where to stand. And, and they're really, you know, it's like the line is drawn. Right. And, and. I think everybody's like, all right, how do we, you know, we, we all need to pick, pick, get on our sides and all this. And then there's, I think there's a a certain, there's a large percentage of people out there is like, no, I don't want this definitive line in the sand all the time. No, I want to be able to step over here because some of the things I dig there are step here. But, you know, if you're, if you're telling me, if you're two-facing me on a message, I can't do that. And, and, oh, you're two-facing me on a message right. too. So I'm just going to stand back here and then voice my opinion now. And, and that thankfully is an opportunity. Unfortunately, uh, the powers that be are, 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 are not happy about a lot of those voices that are being uh, uh, um, projected. And, and there's some censorship, definitely a lot of censorship going on right now. But I, I think, you know, there's a great, there's a great swell coming back up. And once, you know, some leader, i.e. whether it's, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Mike Lindell starting my store right. uh, or his social media called Frank, will there be no swearing? So we're fucking off that for sure. Right. Yeah, but, uh, but, and whoever, whoever it is that's going to pop up to create 
a new a new place for new narratives. Right. You know, I think people are are waiting for that, and there'll be this mass exodus off Google, off Facebook, off Instagram, and and the others. Like, but um, you know, ha- having been off it for about six months now, uh, it, you know, it, it's it's been it's been it was tough at first last time we talked, but now it's 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 nice. I, I'm not inundated with it every day, all day, and. I'm able if, uh, you know, if I'm like, look over at John, I'm like, Hey, you know, how's Evan doing? You know, she'll bring up your, your feed and oh, that's awesome, man. You know? And so did but, you get off intentionally or did they, did they, did they kick you off? Well, I, I, you know, I, they labeled my website about two years ago against community standards and guidelines. And right. then, and then I couldn't post anything on team frog logic. And then right. about two months before the the election, <laughs> I got locked out of Instagram uh, no explanation, no nothing. Had several people reach out in the fall. Uh, um, and then, you know, Parler started. And I've yeah. been off I've been off Twitter for two years. I, I just, right. once I saw them start censoring people, I was like, all right, I'm done. Yeah, I'm and um, and plus it was, there's so much vitriol on Twitter yeah. that, that that wasn't my speed. I didn't want to yeah. be in, in any of that. You know, you know what I do and I yeah. try and stick there. And, and then... I never heard anything back. And then finally, a buddy that I used to contract with has a friend that does internal investigations with it in Facebook and mm-hmm. had him push it through. And they came back and said, we think he might've been hacked or we, they, they gave some wildly ambiguous answer. Interesting. Uh, and then here's the kicker. Then they gave me a, 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 a new sign in because, right. you know, and I go to sign in. They're like, you can't sign in until all your external what things are turned, my VPNs are turned off. We won't right. let you sign in until your VPNs are off and all this. And I was just like, forget this. I'm, I'm not even doing it. Uh, I'm still on LinkedIn, um, most just for business reasons. Um, but then later I found out the guy at Facebook, after checking in on my stuff, all of his managers started ghosting him. <laughs> yeah. So finally, my buddy who had originally came to me and said, dude, it's, it's not, it's not anything serious, you know, right. you know, it's you, you just, there was a, you know, you got hacked or something. Right. And then he comes back and goes, bro, I think it was something more sinister because my buddy's now completely ghosted by his managers and stuff. That's and crazy. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, like that's the thing I don't understand is I've listened to your stuff for years <laughs> and I'm thinking, what on earth were you promoting or doing that could possibly be seen as controversial. I, I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, maybe it's what I was following, what I was liking, what I was stopping at, my scrolls. I, you know, right. I, I definitely now, uh, having been paid attention, it's it's quite obvious that, um, let's call it the powers that be, uh, feel very threatened by our community. Right. Um, feel very threatened because we have big voices. Uh, we're able to, uh, you know, we, we're able to articulate well thought out ideas and, and influence people down those ideas right. and directions. Uh, we also have a profound amount of, uh, of uh, tactical understanding. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, when you see uh, that DOD hires an inclusive, inclusivity manager, right. <laughs> right. That's not inclusive himself to directly go after the special operations community. Yeah. What's that saying? It's like, well, they, there's an internal threat, they believe, that goes against the ideas that they're promoting. And, and for me, you know, this whole concept of domestic terrorism, 
is just, uh, it's just a continuation. I mean, I don't know if you remember, there was that a paper that was released back at the end of the Obama administration that essentially, but the FBI kind of put out that the greatest threat uh, to our democracy is former special operations yeah. members yeah. that get, become disgruntled. Yep. Well, I think, and, and I think Hillary Clinton had said something like that in, in one of her rallies too. The greatest, the greatest threat to the democracy was something, 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 right? And it's so interesting to me because you think about the warfighter, right? You think about the warfighter in the last 20 years, uh, the burden that the warfighter has ultimately carried. Uh, and it's, it, once again, it goes back to uh, hypocrisy and leadership, which is, so the, the political elite class, we'll call them, uh, on both sides, whether they're DNR, doesn't really matter to me. Uh, they vote in and activate the warfighter to go overseas and ultimately fight in uh, two fairly expansive and, and really, they were large scale. Six trillion dollar wars. <laughs> Six trillion dollar wars, right? <laughs> and then they say, okay, we're, you know, when we look at even Iraq, and I've had this conversation a few times. I'm sure people from FRA are getting you know, sick of me talking about Iraq. But when I think about just the, uh, the, the facts associated with the so called facts associated with the invasion of Iraq, they, ultimately debunked those <laughs> over time, right? There wasn't uh, uh, weapons of mass destruction. It, there's still kind of a counter narrative that floats around out there that's like, no, there was, but it got across the border into Syria. It's like, no, that's all been disproven. Um, that's all just, just complete fucking fictional bullshit, right? It's just complete fiction. Um, they didn't have the capacity, the technology, the personnel to mount any large scale uh, threat to even their neighbors because their their economy was collapsing, sanctions were working, isolation was working. Uh, so we spent a few trillion dollars and several thousand people lost life, limb, and eyesight, you know, doing a war of occupation in a country that both D's and R's voted to invade. And now all of a sudden it's our fault. And they, because they don't, they don't want to take accountability. And oh, by the way, these are the same people that are in office today. Like, may I, might I remind everyone, John Kerry was part of that entire fucking shit show, right? Hillary Clinton was a senator, right? You know, whether you like George Bush or not, it's irrelevant to me because, you know, Don Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney and George Bush and all these guys, they were never a warfighter. I don't care who they are. They were never warfighters. They didn't understand it. Um, they understood large, the financial and the geostrategic nature of it. They sure did. <laughs> Hell yeah, they did. Yeah, they, they understood the, well, I think, it, and I think it's not as sinister as sometimes I, I kind of waft back and forth, but I think it's, it's less sinister than I think some people would say, because they think that it's all about profit, right? And I'm like, no, I think you had a group of, of uh, neo, um, neocons, both left and right, that believed the world they believed in nation building mm -hmm. and they believed that we needed to take the, the initiative, the, the initiative to go out and start rolling. Uh, we'll call it, you know, former, you know, regime change and nation building. Right. Mm -hmm. I think they truly believed in that. 
I think they believed that they could do it, which just the fucking ego associated with believing that you could change Iraq in less than a generation or Afghanistan. I, I was reading a meme the other day and it was like, man, we're pulling out of Afghanistan, but we're only 50 years away from victory. Come on guys. Right. <laughs> um, but there's no accountability. There's zero accountability across the board. As far as the political elites, nobody has taken accountability for this. And more importantly, the voters have never held them accountable for their poor decisions. They've do never you, done it. How do you do that though? Is the vote the only way the accountability works? I mean, obviously it, 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 it seems like that's the only way to hold people accountable, but you know, is there, you know, I mean, I, 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 I go back and the latest insanity in my mind of, of, of kind of just the, the, the intense abuse of power was Maxine right. Waters calling for more, you know, you know, more confrontation in the streets. I mean, that's exactly what Minnesota is right now, right? Is more riots and more businesses getting burned and more people dying. And yeah, it's, that's real healthy. And, um, but as you go down you stair step across the, the, the totality of the last 20 years, how, how do you get people accountable? I mean, is it, is, is the vote the only way or, or is there is there a possibility for you know let's say you know whoever moves into uh, the next generation right mm-hmm. next generation maybe we get more of us in office or more people yeah. that are sick of it or more independents or more libertarians or whatever it might be get in there and how do they get in is it is it setting is it having some type of uh, uh, you know um, evaluation for like a peer evaluation. All right. All right. You're, you've taken the lead on, on this amount of stuff. Here are your, here are the metrics of failure and and whatever. Right. And, and, and this is what the standard of, of success is. If you implement a budget, you need to be able to have a 70%, you know, success rate of whatever it is, but man, there is none of that. There is no criteria other than the vote. And I think that's that's interesting. That's why I'm a big supporter of term limits. I'm a big yeah. supporter of 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 not letting people just languish in 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 more financial opportunities. And that seems to be what a lot of it has to do with. Um, but how do we how do we bring that back in there? How do we instill a greater leader a greater leadership requirement? Boy, that is it, boy. I tell you, I wish we could solve that 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 problem right where. When you think about it, and I, I do have a lot of respect for the legislative process. Like it's mm-hmm. very complicated. You have to take into a, a lot of different variables. You know, Dan, I think, has been instrumental in really understanding or giving me a greater understanding as to how complex it is. Um, and I think that the minimum qualification, minimum qualification, right? As far as like the expectation for people to run for office and who they are. There has to be some type of substantive resume there other than, okay, well, and there really isn't. I'm just a citizen of the United States. Uh, and you can just go and get elected. There is a beauty to that though. There, I, is, a, there, is, there is a beauty to that. I like that. I, I have no problem with with some of this, right? Which is there has to be term limits. There has to be... A there has to be a legal, um, a forfeiture of we'll call it 
the the ability for a person to to profit from their position. You have oh, to forfeit yeah. that. Yep. It, and that's during and after. Like it's it's if you're gonna go, you're gonna you're going to forfeit your ability to profit from this position. So you can't write a book. You can't, you know, be a national New York Times bestseller and get a $10 million book deal. You you have to be a person that is truly dedicated to the people. You can't have your husband or your wife buy stock under a different holding company (laughs) and, you know, make hundreds of millions of dollars, no big contracts. Or, you know, I I just read something where Pelosi just bought a, something like $10 million worth of Microsoft stock two weeks before they announced one of the largest government contracts ever awarded to Microsoft. And so here's a person that's worth $100 million already. I, how on earth did you accumulate that type of wealth throughout your profession as a servant to the people? I don't know. <laughs> um, I think there's... I have a good theory, Yeah. right? But I, I, I think there has to be an expectation that if you're going to serve the people, you have to take a, a, essentially a, 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 a servant's wage. And when I say that, that's what it is. Is you know, if if a person is successful, they can go off and they can you know take you know take that job and still maintain their their you know their their wealth to a certain degree. But there has to be a separation there. Um, but a lot of these politicians, they've been able to directly monetize and directly benefit from their positions. And not only them, but it's, it's them and their husbands, their wives, like their entire family. They've been able to enrich and engorge themselves with just kind of gluttonous abuse of power. And trust me when I say this, I am a capitalist, but it has to be done from the business perspective. And we've made politics a business. 100%. And when you make politics a business, and we can individually profit from your name being represented out there in either Congress or Senate or any of these things. And Dan has actually talked 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 a lot about this. There's a lot of things he can and can't do, right? But and he has to maintain two households, for instance. So he has to have a household in DC and he has to have a household in Texas on $170,000 a year, two households. Like that's a lot. Uh, that 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 takes a lot. Mm-hmm. Like you're 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 truly are sacrificing for that. People say, "Well, that's a lot of money." Not when you have to live in no. Washington D.C. When you're flying back and forth, you're on the road all the time. Like you're truly a servant of the people at that point. And by the way, if it wasn't profitable, why are people staying in it for? 40 plus years, years <laughs> and becoming millionaires. Multi-millionaires. Multi-millionaires. Not just like I, I, I left and I had like 2 million in the bank. They're leaving with 100 million. Yeah, 100 million. million. $400 million yeah, in the Clinton like, Foundation. You right? Know, whatever. Yeah. Like, so it's it, it's pure insanity to me for... Uh, well, one, I think a big uh, a big problem with this is, is, a, is the media complacency. Yep. Right? Mainstream media journalism is dead. They, I, they, I, I just think it's, they just it's, it's changed. The boot. It's they, well, I mean, you can go back, Evan. You know this, yeah. brother. You you could go back to 
the times of of Teddy Roosevelt and and you know small town papers writing stories right. against J.P. Morgan and Andrew Carnegie True. and yeah. and, and there there I mean there's always you can go back to the Revolutionary War and and right. there's tons of articles and and what was it the Free Beacon of Boston where you know, they're condemning George Washington for, you know, biting the hand that feeds you or what. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's yeah, always right. been, yeah, there's always yeah, been. Right. It, 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 and, and I think what, what, what is always nice is, is again, it goes back to the individual's choice, right? Am I going to be educated in, in a silo or am I going to educate myself uh, as to the totality of what's happening? And that's, mm-hmm. that, that's what I think, needs to happen. You know, you have this, this, uh, what, what my favorite was, uh, uh, Tim, Tim Scott from South Carolina called it the woke supremacy, right? It's, yeah. it's there, it's there, it there it's the this new ideology of racism, right? Mm-hmm. Where, and then what, what's happening underneath it is there's a growing awakening coming out and saying, you know, we're not fans with this biased, uh, stuff and we're just going to stop listening. Right. You know, CNN has lost half its viewership. Right? Isn't that crazy? 54%. It's, it, it, it's, it's awesome. a big, it's in that, yeah. it, that's the system working, you know, yeah. uh, NBA ratings are off by 60%. Um, wow. um, what the, 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 what awards, it was the last awards, which was the Grammys or something. They were right. off by 67%, you know? Right. And so it's happening. It's just, it, we can't see it. We can't feel it. We can, but what we do see is the, just the, the pummeling every day, you know? And, yeah. And, and so, you know, I think people are afraid to uh, step away from the line in the sand right now. Yeah. And they're saying, hey, you know what? You, you, you idiots fight it out over here. I'm going to come over here. Right. I'm going to look at what you guys are doing and I'm going to figure out what makes sense to me. Uh, and I think that's why, going back to the, the main construct of, of leadership, that's what you guys can offer, right? That's what you can offer people is saying, hey, let's take at a, 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 a legitimate look at, at both these arguments. Let's look at what Tulsi Gabbard has to say and let's look at what Dan Crenshaw and, and when you pare it down, it's relatively the same thing. Yeah. Maybe a, a few individualized uh, efforts in and of sure. itself, but, but there's a relative... Uh, a harmonious uh, uh, concept within there that America is a, is a great place and let's figure out how to bring that back. Yeah. It, and the, the thing of it is, is complex dialogue and debate should be encouraged, right? It, it, information should be encouraged. But the problem is, is that people are trying to do it within a, 120 characters or less. And then it yeah, just, yeah. It, it, it devolves. It, and honestly, we should be evolving into a more complex society that has really advanced conversations because we have so much information access. And, you know, I, I was having this conversation with somebody the, the other day on uh, uh, universal uh, minimum wage, right? Mm-hmm. So um, kind of a $15 an hour across the board, federal government, blah, blah, blah. How would that and affect you guys after you tell the story? I'd like to know. It wouldn't affect us. Uh, I think uh, we have very few positions in the company uh, that are below that at the end of the day. And uh, honestly, like one of the charters in my company this year is to increase the overall uh, minimum earner by well surpass that. Uh, because right. I think I, I, my, my goal is to recruit and hire the best people into the position. And if I'm paying minimum wage, that tells 
that tells the system uh, that we can only recruit and hire at this this level. So I've got to increase that a drastic amount so we can try to recruit and hire better. I say the people here are incredible. When we're looking into the future, we really have to focus on paying people more money. We have to focus on their work environment. So it's creating the best fucking company in America, right? Mm-hmm. So building the best fucking company, we have to pay more money. We have to have better health benefits. We have to have better uh, both economic and management opportunities from within. Like we have to do all those things. Or I'm not meeting my mission, right? I'm not, I'm not actually meeting and exceeding my minimum success criteria for my mission. So if I've set the standard on that, I have to hold myself accountable, which means you have to sacrifice some short-term profit to make sure that you can reach your minimum success criteria for your mission, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, the the conversation to kind of go back to what what my conversation was is somebody was telling me, well, th- this is uh, this is really good for the country, and this will be a really good thing. Like, I have a lot of experience with the federal government. <laughs> <laughs> it's there's no debating this, right? There's no debating that a uh, that a person should be paid for what for for the time because they're exchanging money for their time. And the more valuable you make yourself, the more valuable you will be for the company and the more money you'll be able to exchange for your time. That's just the way like a capitalist structure works. But when the government forces individual businesses to do things, it typically is, a, is, is like a, a shoe. And the, the analogy that I said was, if, we, if the government was to give everybody a shoe, like shoes, a pair of shoes, what the government would do is they would say, okay, so everybody in the United States, what is your shoe size? And they would say, okay, here's the shoe size from top to bottom. The largest shoe is going to be like a 16. The smallest shoe is going to be like a, you know, a, a, a one or whatever. Right. right. And like, okay, cool. So what we're going to do is we're going to give everybody that 16. And you'll grow into it. <laughs> yeah. So the the guy that has it, you know, like me, I've got a size 10. I'm gonna be like, dude, this is way too big. Like if it's perfect for the 16, he's like, this is great. You know, 15, 16, this is great. I love these shoes. They're amazing. It's the most amazing thing ever. I, yeah. I got my free, I got shoes free pair of shoes right? from the government. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't fit the majority of the United States. It doesn't fit the majority of it. But right. a lot of legislation and in, in, in when I say this, it's like it doesn't fit. And when it doesn't fit, then you have to say, okay, well, how do we make it fit? It's like, well, <clears throat> maybe you take it down to the individual municipality. And this is when I start to be really kind of on the conservative side of the fence where I'm like, if we have local solutions, fixing local problems, that typically comes up with a, a more curated, better representative of the community, right? Absolutely. So if there's only 800 people in a, a small town in Wyoming, they're like, all right, well, everybody needs a pair of shoes. Well, let's figure it out how we're, how we're going to get it done. Then you can kind of figure that out. So the perspective that I have on kind of um, you know, universal minimum wage, or I, I, I figure out uh, there's, there's a couple other uh, conversations out there that they're defining it differently. But 
Mike, it doesn't work for everybody. And honestly, the government, every time they force businesses to do something, right? And uh, but when when I say this, I'm all about uh, certain environmental regulations because corporations can be run for uh, they can be very exploitive in their practices, and ultimately they can really cause a lot of harm environmentally. And we've proven that. I think over the, the course of genera- generations in the United States, like there are business practices that are directly detrimental to the environment. There are business practices that are directly detrimental to uh, humans, right? Oh, so absolutely. we know that. But if we have a lot of economic opportunity and economic growth to be a successful business, you have to build a better culture and ecosystem. You have to become better at recruiting talent and paying more and providing and better health care and yeah. keeping them. That's when free market comes into play. Because if you have a shitty work environment with a shitty company, you won't succeed. You'll go by the way of the dodo. You will die. The company will die. But that's why it's so important for, I think, countries, to, at least our country, to be economically successful and continue to provide, uh, I think, growth to the economy or opportunities throughout the economy, right? We have to be competitive in the international market. We have to be locally and regionally competitive. That's why entrepreneurs and business people, they really are, are, are very important to this entire apparatus that we've created. Uh, and anytime I think the federal government starts getting um, involved too involved in business, it becomes stifling. And then you don't grow. You don't create those opportunities. Everybody becomes equal. And then at the end of the day, really poor businesses that would have never succeeded will succeed even in spite of themselves. Oh, and they'll God. maintain, they'll, they'll keep lagging and hitting. And you're like, dude, can you just go away? Like, <laughs> you know? Like just go away, and, and and not all businesses need to survive either. Unfortunately, people always think like, well, businesses need to survive. I'm like, I'm all a great. I'm all about good businesses. We need to put that precursor word in there. Good, good businesses, businesses, yeah, need to survive. Shitty businesses need to go away. <laughs> like they need well, to go away. It's it's. It's natural attrition. It needs to go away. It's evolution. And, and I think, you know, when you look at, 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 at what's going on now, and, and I'm involved now as a result of, of, you know, the events industry being decimated as well right. as, you know, being locked out of, of accessing about 100,000 people, you know, I, I had to pivot. Cause I, I, I was like, all right, man, I need to pivot. So I got involved in a couple small businesses that are, right. that are growing. One's an armor company and one is, is a, a medical technology company. And, and, you know, it's, it's for the first time since I started Frog Logic back in 2006, I have that excitement about business development and growth right. and, and trajectory and how we're going to position ourselves against the competition. And I'm in, you know, creating decks and giving pitches and, you know, I'm out there hustling again. Like, and it's really fascinating to me because it's like, all right, what is the business uh, environment look like right now? And, and right. what you notice is, is, man, there has been such uh, a movement towards, uh, you know, kind of 
dominant business just controlling a market space in such an excruciating level that it's pushed out that competitive reality that's there. And, and, and I think, you know, that is the thing that stifles people's desire to want to take that chance to make that risk where entrepreneurialism is, is a little quash. And especially after last year, all the small businesses have been decimated, but we need to get back and have leaders like you and and people like me to say, no, all right, let's try something new. Let's get back in the fight. Let's go after this. And, and that's why it's so critical that we do see from our leadership in the political apparatus that there, there are antitrust lawsuits against yes. the Googles and the Facebooks and, and all these other monsters out there and, and, and the unionization of Google or whatever it might be. And because it, it creates, like you said, there's got to be space for opportunity. Otherwise, there's, there's no, um, the, the, the funneling of control and power into yes. one, a few that control all, man, that's not good at all. And, and no, because that that becomes uh, essentially a self-controlled uh, dictatorship in a capitalist market. It becomes a dictatorship in business. And a lot of people will say, "Well, that's the free market." Like, okay, I, I'm not I'm not arguing that the free market. I'm not arguing that Walmart has been successful and there's a reason why they're successful. But what we have to kind of, I think, understand is what is it that we want and expect from our buying buying experience? And if you have a large, large scale retailer, whether it's Amazon or Walmart, and they control the majority of the market, we do have to look for opportunities to seed new initiatives and new ideas to make the landscape more competitive. So putting rules in the game doesn't make the game less fun. It makes the game more competitive. Absolutely. And that's where I think ethics, right? So as a society, when we decide these are ethics, and really that's kind of the, the, the premise of legislation, when we talk about ethics, it's how do we compete the... How do we compete internationally? So how does America compete on the international uh, global economic scale? How do we compete? How do we compete internally? How do we build communities? Uh, That's a whole other conversation that directly feeds into this, which is when we talk about the opportunities in America to have true economic mobility, we really do have to look at you know, places in the United States where they haven't had a lot of opportunity, right? So oh, I agree. Where, where is the the lack of opportunity where it's directly contributing to, you know, incarceration, drug use, uh, a lack of family values, so single income, you know, families, where are those? So when I say ethics in business, we're putting rules and making things more competitive, but we're also shaping the nation the way that we want it. And I would rather do that, figure out ways that we can create really incredible economic opportunities that will that will reshape sections of our nation and build opportunities than saying there's a universal minimum wage. I, yeah. I don't necessarily know how that will help or directly contribute to well, that was the old 
That was the old chamber of commerce model, right? I mean, yeah. you create a chamber of commerce for business leaders like you. They come in, they they look around, they foster each other's businesses. Mm-hmm. They they cross promote each other's businesses. They create, they see where there's a need and they, you know, they go out into other areas and recruit businesses to come in and say, hey, there's a void here. We'd love to have your business look at our, our chamber of commerce. And, but all, all of that has been, you know, decimated down to the, you know, a place where unless companies like yours or or other companies that have the means or the influence can go and say, hey, uh, let, we're going to put a, a Black Rifle coffee in the middle of this space and hire people, or we're right. going to create, we're going to create uh, small business loans through this program and help, help these companies get funded and seed and start a company. And then we'll teach them how to do their books or we'll help them mentor them, mm-hmm. you know, and, and start building up, like you said, these areas for, for opportunity instead of just the gentrification of the surrounding area to condense uh, the the poverty areas into such a, a strict and small unit that, you know, now all the other people, you know, and that's, it's so funny. I was reading something the other day that, you know, these, these, these draconian measures that have been placed on a lot of uh, key strategic economic hubs are, 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 and who are driving people out uh, is, is really just yeah. the setup for the vultures to come in purchase all the real estate, the commercial real estate at a low price, uh, right? And come in and, and implement a, a whole new system or yeah. create their opportunities, you know? And I'm like, wow, that'd be sinister if that's the reality. But, you know, it, it you never know. It could be. So You never know. Like I, I look at it as like, man, I'm glad that people are fleeing California. I really am. I don't... I, I think it should be an eye opener for the California legislative body to say, are we doing everything that we can to maintain the like you know economic integrity you know opportunities and fulfillment for the people within the state are we doing it or, or are we not i don't know because texas seems to be winning over there a little bit more than we are over here now i could be wrong you know like maybe they've built a such a fantastic utopia you know 15% tax rate and you know uh shoveling you know, needles off their, their 65,000 homeless people. Maybe that's a utopian dream for a lot of these people. Maybe that's where they want to live. Right. It's like, maybe that's your thing. You know, if you like watching people, you know, defecate in your sidewalk and, you know, uh, raising your family in that, that environment, maybe, maybe that's their thing. It's not my thing. It's not what I kind of want to do with my time or raise my family in that environment. So, if that's what they want to do in San Francisco, by all means, man. Like you guys do you. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, that's also what I believe in, right? It's like, hey, they don't have to move there. I'm not going to live there. So individual municipalities should be free to kind of do whatever kind of social experiment they want, as long as it doesn't cost me any money, like in Texas or Utah, right? As long as I'm not paying for it. You guys do you. Like, have fun. Have enjoy. fun. Enjoy. Have yeah, at enjoy. it. Enjoy. Have yeah. at it, guys. Like T- taking the ninth largest economy in the world <laughs> and decimating it because yeah. you're mismanaged uh, money, you know. But but Again. you know what? You're gonna go to the you're gonna you're gonna be able to go to your restaurant. You know, Gavin's gonna be able to go to his restaurant, and not wear a mask and you French know, eat laundry. at French laundry, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's gonna be able to go to French laundry. Uh Dave, I I, I uh no worries, Bob. Dude, it is it's it's always fucking rad to talk to you, man. Like we got to do this. We got to schedule it like every month or something. Like we got to get into a cadence of just like hammering down. You know what I, I mean? 
I just, I, you know, the only thing that I care about is, is you and your mental health and that you're not being, you're not going, being spread out too thin. And I'm always here. If you ever want to have one of these talks, there's not many people I get to actually have these talk with, especially uh, on, you know, on a microphone with. And so I, I just, I always am praying that you're okay and you're hanging in there and and you're doing well and everybody around you is, is, is doing well. And, uh, I'm always here, brother. I'm always happy to to chat with you and whenever you want, bud. Man, uh, I love you, Dave Rutherford. Uh, thank you so much for being on Free Range, buddy. I can't I can't wait to get you back. We got to get Sean out here on one of these two. The three of us need to just like well, talk we, shit for like we, an hour. We we need to come and do a road trip out there. And yeah, hang out, guys, that's what we need to do. Yeah. So we're we've been talking about doing some things together, you know, and 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 you know, I think. Once we figure that out, we'll know in the next few. Mike Glover's out here. So it's like you, me, Mike, and Sean can do a fucking episode. It'd be like two Green Berets (laughs) and two Navy SEALs just talk shit. You know what I mean? (laughs) It'd be be a great episode. That'd be fun. Well, I'd probably be coming out there soon. You know, I've been working with a a company out in your area for... Years and and so I might be coming out there again soon and 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 working with them. So if I am, uh, you know, we'll see what we can set up, brother. Fire it up. Let's All, right. All right, love man. you, buddy. God love bless you. Too, you. Buddy. you too. Keep being.